Amen. Can you hear me? Fantastic. The first thing I want to say is, God is good. Let's say it together. God is good. Again, again. God is good. Once more. God is good. Amen. And his mercies endure forever. So today I've chosen um, a title, Fitted for Battle. It's what I felt, you know, the Lord gave me to share. Now, many of you have walked with the Lord for decades. I am so privileged, as I speak to some people in this church, to find out about their spiritual journey. You know, you've really um, sojourned. You've really traveled some deep parts. And for those of us who've been Christians, I mean, even if you've been a Christian for probably one year, one thing is certain, whether we, we want to acknowledge it or not, we are in a battle. You know, we were born in the, into the battle. It's nothing to be afraid of. It's nothing to, you know, get jittery about. Because God is good, his mercy is endure forever, and Jesus has already acquired the victory for us. But we are in a battle. And one of the first things I want to say before we even begin is, we have to remember who the real enemy is. So often we spend a lot of time fighting the wrong battles, fighting against the wrong people, being upset for so long against the wrong people. I'm not the enemy. You're not the enemy. Neil is not the enemy. Cheryl, the elders. Maybe they've done things that you didn't like, but we're not the real enemy. Boris Johnson is not the real enemy. You know, we need to remember what's happening in the back. I actually like Boris Johnson, by the way. We need to remember what's happening in the background. So I've invited Rihanna to read Revelation 12. So just so that we have, you know, the real picture of who the real enemy is. You want- I'll just try and speak loudly. <laughs> um- Revelation 12. Uh, The woman and the dragon. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and... Sorry, I didn't think of that. Yeah, so I'll read from the beginning of that passage. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that it might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. 
Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she would be taken care of for a time, times and half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Thank you, Rihanna. The dragon is enraged and he's out to wage war against those of us who keep the commands of Jesus. So that's why, you know, as Peter says, don't be astounded or shocked you know when fiery trials occur it's part of the it's part of life generally even non-christians have wars but we as the lord's children we we have an enemy and i and i so want to stress sometimes we turn against each other as believers we need to come together in unity and fight for each other and love each other and forgive each other Let's not turn against each other. Let's not spend time fighting the wrong battles. So when it's time to fight the right battles, you don't have the energy because you spend all this energy fighting the wrong battles. You know, I I was in in one of my jobs. Almost all the employees decided to write a letter of protest and sign it. And they came to me and said, you know, Natalie, we want you to sign as well. We really want your signature. We need your support. And I just really felt, okay, I know I'm going to disappoint a lot of people, and I know I would probably end up being persona non grata, but I, th- I just felt, no, you are not to be part of this war. I felt as if the Lord sa- sa- said to me, you are not to be part of the herd. Just become, you know, part of the crowd, because you want other people to accept you. And sometimes we just have to say no, The Lord did not call me to this. I'm not going to be a part of it. Even though it might mean that you're the person who stands alone. We, We cannot afford to become entangled in the wrong wars. There's someone, uh, uh, an amazing king of, of Judah, 
King Josiah. He was a wonderful king. He turned the people's hearts back to God. He you know, rebuilt the temple. He even went to Israel and he cut down all the Asherah poles. But you know what happened to King Josiah in the end? He became involved in a battle that had nothing to him. You know, Egypt, the, 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 the pharaoh of Egypt, I think it was um, Nico, was going out for battle. And Josiah decided that he was going to fight him. And the king of Egypt said, this has nothing to do with you. Stay away from this battle. But he was determined. The Bible says he was determined. And that was the end of his life. So I believe that as believers, the first thing I want to say, let's fight the battles of the Lord. Do not become involved in battles that God has not called you to. Now, it's, being in the kingdom of God is absolutely delightful. You know, I've been you know, around Christians for over 50 years. Don't try to guess my age. I have seen amazing amazing events. I've seen, I remember my friend in Alice in Edinburgh, she always had flat feet and this healer came to town, you know, guy with a healing ministry. And it's like, he prayed for her and there were arches in her feet. I've seen so many amazing things happen. And, you know, I've been part of the, the joy of the Lord is our strength, you know, lots of praise parties, rejoicing, dancing. I tell you, the kingdom of God is the best place to be. If you're not a believer, if you're here and you're sort of wondering, well, I am telling you, this is the best place to be, the kingdom of God. However, I have chosen and I... I have chosen to speak about some little foxes. Today, I'm not going to be speaking about, you know, the amazing power of fasting, praying, you know, the power of praise and worship. Many of us, because of the reality of warfare in the Christian walk, we've been to conferences on spiritual warfare. We've read the books, and that's important. Praise, worship, praying, fasting, fantastic. But as a Christian, as someone who I believe, I believe I have the joy of the Lord, I also carry a burden. Because throughout my years walking as a Christian, I've known Davids. I've known Samsons. What do I mean by that? Mighty men of God. And some of them, some of them, Some of them were personally known to me. They fell, and they fell really hard. And some of them are no longer with us. Some of them literally died. And recently, I've been, I go through these periods in my Christian walk where, yes, I have the joy of God, but I do feel very burdened about some of the things that I've seen happen to my Christian brothers and sisters over the decades. And I feel that there are things that we hardly address from the, from the pulpit. I don't believe that we need to spend, you know, every week talking about these things. But I sincerely believe that there are things that need to be addressed. I want to talk about the little foxes that nip away at our victory the little foxes, the things that many people overlook. So as I said, I'm not downplaying at all 
the power of praying and fasting. But I think sometimes we can overrate it. And I, I say this very carefully. Interestingly enough, there are times when God himself addresses prayer and fast. And he makes it very clear that praying and fasting, that they're not the most important thing as we walk this Christian walk. If you look at Isaiah 58.3, Isaiah 58.3, God is addressing his people. They're saying, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and you oppress all your workers. And the Lord goes on to list some ingredients that he is looking for in our lives, the way we're treating the widows, the way, we, the way we're treating others. And this is also repeated in, for example, in Zechariah 7, 1 to 10. During the 70 years of exile, there were people who were fasting every year during the seven year, seven, 70 years. They weren't getting a response and they were wondering why. And the Lord basically repeats the same thing. So some that before we do the praying and the fasting, and that's really important, we have to ensure that we are walking in obedience to the word of God. Obedience. It's the first thing that I really want to focus on, obedience. Years ago, it was very, you know, it was the end thing to quote Deuteronomy 28. Many of you probably know it. If you obey my word, these blessings would follow. It's the word of God. Interestingly enough, in Deuteronomy 28, there is no mention of praying and fasting. The Lord just says, if you obey me, if you obey me, obedience, this is going to happen. Sometimes it's, all we need to do is to obey God in different areas of our lives. Obedience is more powerful than sacrifice. That is what Samuel said to Saul. You can think, okay, I'm going to do this to make up for it. I'm going to do that. But sometimes the foundation is obeying the word of God. I want to touch on something that, and, and, I mean, uh, volumes could be written about, you know, obedience in the Bible. There's so much that the Bible says about obedience. But I want to touch on something here that Peter mentioned last week, and I thought, ah, he, he's preaching my sermon. It talks about, this is the thing that I love about the Bible. The Bible gives us practical guides to every area of life. Church life, everyday life. The word of God tells us, how we can walk in obedience as we relate to our elders. This was mentioned last week. First Timothy 5.17 says clearly, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. First Thessalonians 5.12.13 says, now we ask you brothers and sisters to Give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you. And to regard their, them very highly in love because of their work. Now, I want to walk in obedience to that word. This is going to determine how I relate to Neil and his wife, that they're one, and to all the elders, Angus and his wife, 
all of them. And I'm not doing this because I want to ingratiate myself with them or because I want to be in their good books. I am doing this because I know about the power of obedience. And as I align myself with the word of God in different areas of my life, I am setting myself up for the Lord's blessing and protection. I don't think we realize even in these tiny things how we could remove ourselves from the Lord's blessing. Yes, God is good. God is forgiving. But if there are areas in our lives where again and again we're not obeying the Lord, we are setting up ourselves for one type of loss or another. That is just the truth. Years ago, I had, I had a very practical experience. So I was part of a church, and I wasn't, you know, some things had happened, and I really felt I, I need to just take a break from that church. And I was really hurt because one person in the whole church got in touch with me, and I was thinking, hold on, I go to church, not just on a, I'm not just a Sunday goer, I go during the week, I've been part of, you know, all their meetings, I've always been supportive, and one person in the entire congregation got in touch with me for months, and I was about to move to a different part of the country, and my attitude was, well, they don't care about me, I'm not even going back to say goodbye to the leaders, forget about them. And I found out that one morning I just happened to find a tape by John Paul Jackson. And he was talking about having a right attitude. You see, I can't control how you react to me. I can't. But I am responsible before God for doing the right thing. So I was on my high horse, very upset. And I really felt the Lord say, don't you dare leave and go to a different part of the country without going back to speak to your elders and to say goodbye in an honorable in an honorable way so i went back i went back and with i don't have time to tell you the entire story but interestingly enough i had been praying and fasting about some issues and about a short time after going back and doing the right thing my life changed things just fell into place and i will always remember that it's not just the praying and fasting. Guys, there is power in obedience when you just obey the word of God. How we treat our leaders in church, how we treat our leaders at work. Yes, they're not perfect. But God, I should not be bad-mouthing my boss with others. And even David, Saul was not perfect. But you know what David said? I will not put my hand on the Lord's anointed. Let God deal with him. I would not lay my hand on the Lord's anointed. So it's not just the perfect, you know, leaders we're supposed to honor and respect. This is the word of God. And I'm just, I really am a believer in, you know, just obeying God. Number one. Number two. Oh, time's going by really quickly. Number two, wisdom. Now, I didn't look into this at, at the thesaurus, but I would say wisdom is basically living sensibly and sensitively. There's an entire book in the Bible, Proverbs, dedicated to wisdom. But as we read the word of God, so much of the word of God is inadvertently teaching us how to lead, lead um, wise lives. One thing over the years that have happened, it doesn't happen, thank God, it doesn't happen frequently, but it still happens too often, are leaders who've ended up in, in adulterous affairs. One of the most powerful preachers 
I know. I mean, this, I, I think in, in the entire UK, I have never heard anyone preach like this man. He was starting a Christian school, a wonderful thing to do. So his church, he was a church leader, starting a Christian school. The woman who was supposed to be the headmistress, I mean, no one gets up in the morning and says, you know, I'm going to have an affair. She had to work late hours. And both of them just spent lots of time working late hours together after, you know, after hours. They had to do it. It was a lot of work. And then they ended up in an affair. And I've heard so throughout my Christian walk, you know, the guy, the Christian guy and his secretary. And I was thinking, I've been thinking over the years, we need to deliberately set ourselves up for success. Yes, the word of God says in Psalm 91, he will deliver us from the snare of the fowler. So I'm not just depending on me, but at the same time, there are practical things that we do. You know, David was a man of God. He fell into adultery. And if it can happen to David, it can happen to me. And as a matter of fact, the word of God says, you know, these things happen for your, you know, to be an example to you. And I'm not saying this at all to condemn anyone. Or, because I believe that when people fall, when, you know, yes, we get disappointed. But you know what Galatians says, Galatians 6, 1, it says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may fall. So I can't say, well, I'm so spiritual. I can, I, 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 and I heard somebody you know, preach about this years ago. Why am I, as a married woman, spending time with some, another man? Why? You know, going every day to lunch, for, you know, for lunch with him. I, I work in a boys' school. And there was a time when I was like the only in-house, you know, female member of staff. I'm surrounded by men. But it goes without saying, you know, for staff meetings, I'm not going to be alone with my head of department, you know, once a week. And it doesn't mean that it has nothing to do about having a, a spirit of lust. It's, it's just walking in wisdom. Because it happens too many times in the Christian life. How many ministers we've known over the years, it's walking in wisdom. The reality is, married people get attracted to other married people. Unmarried people get attracted to married people. And vice versa, it happens. So we need to live wisely and circumspectly. It saves us from a lot of heartache. And also, we need to ensure that those who are under our care are learning wisdom. And I, as a teacher and as a parent, I want to talk about discipline. We have to, dis it's not a bad word. We have to discipline our children. I love my boys. I think they are absolutely gorgeous. I love them. <laughs> However, I know that if I don't discipline them, I am setting them up for heartache later in life. You know, I might think that what my youngest Micah doing, he's cute. You know, he's a, there's something about the youngest child. But Micah needs to know from early on, listen, I have been saying, what you're doing, is it just and right? Because when he goes into the real world, nobody cares that you're the youngest child. You're just one out of 30 students. And what I'm doing for my kids now, it's going to affect their future. 
You know what Proverbs says about discipline? Proverbs, says, Proverbs 19, 18 actually says, Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. And then something very dramatic it says, is added. It says, Do not be a willing participant to their death. We saw this with Eli in the Old Testament, yeah? Eli did not discipline his sons. How did they end up? That, that's just the reality, guys. I'm not being, you know, hot. this is some children end up in awful situations. I'm not saying it's always the parents' fault. I'm not saying that at all. No, we're not, I'm not, it's not about guilt trips, but we have a responsibility as parents and teachers. And teachers. One of my sons said um, when he was in primary school, Mom, I really love my school. Even the consequences are fun. And I was like, what? There's no... And I know for a fact in his school, I know there were issues with discipline. We have to teach our children that there are consequences to actions. And we need to know that, yes, there is grace. But I have seen Christians suffer because of poor decisions and sinning repeatedly without heeding. And as I say, they don't need, when people fall, they don't need our judgment. They don't need our criticism. When people fall and they fall hard, they suffer enough. They don't need to ask to add to their suffering. They need us to pray for them and to show them mercy and compassion. King David, a man after God's own heart, he suffered. We like to talk about David dancing. and He suffered. After his sin with Bathsheba, he lost a few children. There are, even though God loves us, we need to face the reality there are consequences to actions. Yes, we don't get what we deserve. And many times God really comes in, blesses us in the middle of everything. He is so good. But we can't take it for granted that I can do anything, live any old how, and skip happily, or, you know, go, go, go through life skipping merrily along. Sometimes there's very, very severe consequences. And finally, quickly, there's so much I want to say, but just enough time. We need to always put God first. And I don't think anybody here goes to any idol, you know, Hindu temples and you bow down to God. And, and that's not what I'm talking about. I want to just um, refer to Matthew 10, 37. I don't think anybody here is like bowing down to an idol. Matthew 37 says something really interesting. It says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And this son and daughter and mother and father, I don't think it just refers to those family members. I think Jesus is speaking about people who are close to us as well. While preparing for this sermon, I had a vision, a picture. And it was a picture of a rope. And now God wants us to be roped together, joined together, bonded together by cords of love. But sometimes, and guys, this, I, I really believe that this is something that's been made in my heart. Some of us, some of us have been bonded to even other Christians 
by cords of manipulation, by cords of fear, by cords of intimidation and domination. Sometimes we do it to others. Sometimes we allow others to do it to us. I believe that, you know, the word of God says you can't serve God and mammon. Well, you can't serve God and man. All of us need to be free to love each other freely without feeling intimidated, without feeling that, oh, if I do whatever, that person's not going to like me anymore. It happens in the church. I see it in the workplace where everybody feels they need to be part of a certain group or part of a herd where every, people are feeling, I need to fit in somewhere. God did not call us to just fit in. He called us to serve him freely. We cannot serve God freely if we're living under the fear of the person who is the loudest or the person who is the most popular. Christianity is not a popularity contest. Sometimes you have to be the one who stands on your own in, or, in order to obey the Lord. And this is not something that, you know, that even, you know, amazing Christians have this problem. You know what Paul said, said about Peter in Galatians 2.11? Listen to what he says. When Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. Why? Because he was afraid. Even a mighty apostle like Peter who raised the dead, he still had that fear of man in him. And Proverbs says that the fear of man is a snare. And guys, we must not live lives responding. Some of us, just it's just a response to who likes me, who doesn't like me, what this person said, what this person did. We are to live our lives responding to the word of God. And at the end, I'm going to play this song, and part of the song says, I have leaned on the wisdom of men, oh God, forgive me. And listen to this, I have responded to them instead of your love and your mercy. Every now and then you need to ask yourself, what am I responding to? What's, what's shaping who I'm becoming? You know, have I, you know, in the past I used to be a really nice person, but then I got hurt, I got disappointed, so I just draw back and I now have this persona of, you know, I, I don't come near to me. That's not the work of God. That's the work of man and the enemy behind man. The work of God says, you know what? Even though I am talking to that person and they're treating me badly, I have determined in my heart I'm going to walk according to the word of God and I'm still going to bless you and I'm still going to greet you even if you don't greet me and I'm still going to forgive you and I'm still going to love you. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. But we cannot live life just responding to situations. You know, this person in church gets you upset, you move to another church. But you'll get upset in that other church too and then you're going to move to another church and then you get, you know, this job person in my job gets me upset, I move. Then you move. You know, I'm not saying it's not that, that there are times when we don't need to move, but what I'm saying is let's be people of character and people who are determined. I'm going to live in response to the word of God, not in response to who likes me or who doesn't like me. Amen. And finally, last point, I just want to say just keep your eyes on Jesus, please. Just 
you want to win your battles small and big, just keep your eyes on Jesus. And there are times, and I've, I've experienced this, sometimes you need to be careful who you're around. I know this song's awful. I have been in situations where I know the Lord was telling me X, Y, Z, and there are people speaking words of unfaith, and you just have to remove yourself. Maybe you've got, you know, something that the doctors told you, whatever. Doctors are fantastic. But always, always trust God first. Trust Jesus first. Don't just run with the doctor's report. Trust Jesus first. Keep your eyes on him. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. Yeah? So this song that I'm going to play, it starts by saying, God, you reign in the majesty of your power. You are worthy of all praise. And Lord, we celebrate your presence. God, we enlarge you in our vision right now. Greater than our problems, greater than our fear, greater than our insecurities, greater than our failures. And Lord, we enlarge you greater than the enemy himself. So much of what you're going to live and experience is going to depend on what you're enlarging and who you're enlarging. Let's magnify God. Let's magnify his goodness. Let's magnify his love. Don't magnify the offense, you know, that happened 20 years ago or 20 minutes ago. Don't magnify that. Don't become who the enemy wants you to become. Respond to the word and the love and the light of God. Amen.